The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the second chapter. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Whenever I hear Jesus say to Mary, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My first thought is always, you really shouldn't talk that way to your mother. The whole thing has kind of a dysfunctional feel to it. It's not unlike what happens often in the Gospel of John where people kind of talk past each other. You hear it again in John chapter 3 when Jesus and Nicodemus are having their conversation and Nicodemus hears Jesus say, you must be born again, and he thinks to himself, how can I enter my mother's womb as a grown man? So here's how the story goes. They're at the wedding, Mary, Jesus, and the disciples And then the party stalls. They've run out of wine. So Mary makes a move that is a typical parent move. Mother of Jesus says to him, they have no wine. It's that way of leading your kids to draw their own conclusions in the hopes that they'll do the right thing. Your room is looking a little messy. The garbage is getting full. She's not just stating some interesting fact. There's an implicit instruction in there. They have no wine, and I want you to do something about it. Now, Jesus isn't confused by it. He gets what she's after. He does wonder, however, why she would ask that of him. And so he replies, Woman, what does this have to do with me? Now, he sounds really snarky to our ears, but there are a couple of things to observe that take the edge off of his tone. First, when he calls her woman, it's a Greek word that is not condescending or chauvinistic. It's really a very neutral word. But that is part of the point. He doesn't call her mother. At least in this moment, it is as though they are unrelated. It's like when the crowds are pressing around Jesus and he's told, your mother and your brothers want to see you, and he replies, who are? my mother and my brothers. That he calls her woman 
puts some distance between the two of them. And the rest of his answer explains why. What does this have to do with me? It's actually another phrase that's a bit difficult to translate. In Greek, it's just four words, and more literally, it's like this. What is there that's mine and yours? What do you and I have in common? In this moment, it's as though we are after completely different things. Jesus is reacting to a surprising short-sightedness on the part of Mary. She insists that he help with the wine shortage, knowing that he has the power to solve this problem. But a shortage of wine is not the problem he has come to solve. At most, it is a symptom of a problem. It's like if you've got tonsillitis. So your tonsils are all inflamed and your throat is sore and you can't swallow. It's time for surgery. So you find a surgeon, but instead of asking him to take out your tonsils, you ask him for some sore throat medicine. Of course, he could give you something to make you more comfortable, but that's kind of short-sighted, isn't it? Or if your brakes are squeaking because they're worn out, so you take your car to the shop and they ask, would you like us to replace your brakes? And you reply, actually, do you have some earplugs? I don't want to listen to that squeaking anymore. Woman, what does this have to do with me? Jesus asks that question because concern about the wine at the wedding, though it is a huge deal, is not what Jesus is about. Running out of wine is an embarrassment. That requires no translation. That crosses cultures. If you throw a party and run out of drinks, you've failed this most basic task of hosting. And if that party happens to be a wedding, the most prominent social event in a person's life, if the wine runs out at a wedding... That's something everyone will remember. But even so, although it appears that there could not possibly be anything more pressing in this moment, Jesus says, this business about the wine, it's not my business. Your concern about a happy and comfortable party, about the good reputation of the host, about the joyful memories of the bride and the groom, that's not what I'm concerned about. What does this have to do with me? It's as though Mary has forgotten the serious business that Jesus has come for, the business of his Father, his work as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, Mary's not the only one who loses sight of what Jesus is here for. It happens all throughout the gospel that people clamor after him because they think he's there just to feed them or just to heal them, or just to save them from what is presently making their lives difficult. That's the trap that you and I often fall into as well, thinking that Jesus is here to fix the discomforts in our lives. But there's something much bigger going on. Jesus is after something much bigger than food or health or a well-supplied wedding party. It's not that he doesn't care about those things. It's that he also cares about something much deeper. What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. That is a refrain throughout the Gospel of John. The hour is coming, he says to the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. 
It's the coming hour he then describes in chapter 5, the hour when the dead would hear the voice of the Son of God and when those who hear his voice would live. In chapter 7 and chapter 8, they couldn't arrest him because his hour had not yet come. And then after he enters Jerusalem in chapter 12, Jesus wonders aloud, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. And then in chapter 17, finally, just as he is going to the cross, Jesus prays, Father, the hour has come. That was the hour he was waiting for, the hour of his glory, the hour in which he would give himself for the life of the world. In that hour, he is doing something more than a spectacular miracle. He is dealing with a problem graver than a shortage of wine, graver than hunger and even sickness, graver than any of the difficulties that we see in our lives. These are all symptoms of our most basic and grievous problem, sin and death, a problem which requires more than a miracle. Now, Jesus is a good son, and so he does what his mother asks. And the master of the feast is startled, not knowing where the wine has come from. It's worth noting that the story ends in this way. John says, This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. Notice that it's not the first of his miracles. Miracles are one thing. This is another. A sign points to something. And Jesus' signs point to death and resurrection. As marvelous as it was that he turned water into wine, much more important is this fact, observed by the master of the feast. You have kept the best wine until now. What Jesus does makes everything that came before seem inferior. He made the rest of the wine at the party seem like swill in comparison. You have kept the best wine until now. This is why it was so important for him to say, My hour has not yet come. Because when his hour finally did come, every miracle that he had performed up to that point would pale in comparison with the crucifixion. Even raising Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11 is like child's play next to defeating the grave and destroying death altogether. What he would do on the cross, although it would seem like a complete loss and utter humiliation, was in fact victory and the epiphany of his glory. So here's the point for you. Everything in life seems to work the way the master of the feast expects. First the good wine, then the poor wine. First youth and health, then age and sickness. First happiness and hope, then disappointment and regret. That's even how it appeared to everyone looking on as Jesus was lifted up on the cross. He was so full of promise and we believed in him. But now he's dying and we don't know what to believe. The sign of the wedding at Cana is this. The best wine is saved till the end. By his death and resurrection, Jesus has rescued us from this world of decay so that one day when the trumpets sound and the angels descend to pull our bodies from their graves, we will open our eyes and we will see not mortal bodies, 
but our bodies glorified, incorruptible. We will see each other free from sickness and hunger and sorrow and sin, and we will see Christ, who is the light of the world, shining eternally, having banished the darkness once and for all. And we will see this sign fulfilled, and we will say to him, You have indeed kept the good wine until now. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Amen.